Before I uh, open the word and start to preach this morning, I want to just take a moment and say thank you to all of you who've been praying for my wife, Lynn. Um, had an accident while we were on vacation, final day of vacation, and uh, fell and broke her leg and had surgery this past Wednesday and is doing well. Um, I believe I can say that. I, I'm doing well. <laughs> and so uh, I, I was telling the first service, I've never appreciated my wife more than right now. Um, I think all of you understand that. Um, just uh, a gift that God gave me uh, 44 years ago, and um, I'm doing my best to take care of her, and um, that is a difficult task because she has always taken such good care of herself by herself, and so now she has to not only be a good patient, but I have to be a good nurse, and so uh, our, your, continued, your continued prayers will be very much appreciated in that area, so... Uh, it'll be about, uh, we were told three to six months before she'll be in full recovery. So uh, pray the Lord will speed that up a little bit for her, and I would, we would appreciate that. Um, this morning, uh, we're going to look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, and I titled this, uh, Living a Resurrected Life. Living a Resurrected Life. Um, so I'm re- I usually read from NASB, but I'm reading from uh, NIV, and I think they have, they're going to have that behind me. Yeah, perfect. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. We find in this little section, it's like a hinge point between the first two chapters and the final two chapters of Colossians. And the last several weeks, we've gone over the first two chapters of Colossians, and it's very uh, primarily a doctrinal section, tells you what you have in Christ, what that looks like, how you can identify that. And these final two chapters um, will be more about the practical application of those truths and how to live that out. So these verses conclude the dispute against the false teachers um, and further exaltation of the supremacy of Christ. How many of you know, after going through two full chapters of Colossians, that this book is about the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ? We need to start over if you haven't figured that out yet. Excuse me. At, at the risk of uh, ad nauseum almost, we keep saying this over and over and over to you, and um, through the section of scripture here as we've taught it, but you know what? Uh, if Paul wrote it down and kept saying it over and over, we're going to keep saying it over and over, and um, so uh, if you haven't gotten that, I wish you'd go back and read those first two chapters again, maybe listen to some more of the uh, podcasts that we have and things of that nature, but um, there we go. So uh, these verses conclude the dispute against the false teachers with further exaltation and supremacy of Christ, and they provide a great starting point um, for the alternatives to the false teaching. The false teachers at Colossae have attacked the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ, as we've learned, like I said, in the last past several weeks. They have made him less than fully God and have attempted to seduce believers into thinking that genuine spirituality is to be found in obtaining more knowledge keeping more rules or having more experiences or what
whatever else you want to say about it. How many of you, and you can show a hand, is fine. How many of you know of churches, religious organizations, that don't teach that Christ is sufficient and supreme? Yeah, it hasn't changed. In, in the 2,000 years since this letter was written, it's ongoing. It's ongoing. It's, you've got to have an experience. You have to do this or that or the other, forgetting that it's all about Christ. And when we do that, and as we've taught in the last several weeks, when you add something to it, you take away from who Christ really is. You say, in reality, he's not sufficient. He's not the supreme one. But he is the supreme one, and he is sufficient. And so we start here this morning to uh, take a look at, in chapter 2, he told us the truth about Christ. If you, I'm just going to try and recap it a little bit. Christ is fully God. He said that he was deity, and that he was the fullness of God in, in himself there. And then he said this wonderful thing. He, he used the same terminology. He says, and we as Christians... We are given fullness in him. We're complete in him. Now we learn the truth as Christians and spirituality. Genuine spiritual experience begins with understanding our identification with Christ. Our identification with him is where everything begins. That's where it starts. It's in him. Being in him is when you are a Christian. If you're not in him, you're not a Christian. If you're in him, you are fully a Christian. Praise God for that. So what Paul does here is we're leaving the doctrinal segment and we're going to head into the practicality of how to now exercise what you know and make it happen in your life. And so he starts off here, I want to just call it, he's exhorting them. He's reminding them, but he's also going to exhort them. And um, his exhortation is given to provide motivation. So the church of Colossae was doing well. But he's trying to motivate them to make sure they continue to do well, that they don't fall into these other teachings, these false teachings that you've got to keep rules or, you know, the asceticism, you've got to deny yourself and these different things. No, no, Christ did it all. So he starts with this, with the motivation thought. Therefore, if you have been raised up, and I'm reading now in the NASB, and I, I like the translation of the NIV more so, because I think it should say, therefore, since you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So Paul tells believers that they have been raised with Christ. You've been resurrected with him. You died with him, now you've been resurrected with him. So we as believers in Christ eagerly anticipate the future bodily resurrection mentioned. That's not what he's talking about here, though. There is going to be a bodily resurrection. You guys are aware of that? Do you know that? There will be, there's coming a day when Christ returns. He's going to rapture the church. He's going to resurrect the dead. The dead in Christ will rise first, preceded. Uh, next would be the believers that are walking on the earth. When he comes back and he's in the sky, he's going to call up and he's going to say, all of those in those graves, come on out. And they're going to come out. 
And then he's going to say, and the rest of you who believe in me, those of you who have placed your faith in me, come on, it's time to go home. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, 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 praise God. Yeah, you can clap. You can applaud that. That's a good truth. Well, I think that's, my, my grandfather used to say it. I've heard him say it. I was a little boy when he would say it, and I didn't quite understand it back then. I think I grasp it better today, since I'm older than he was when he said it. He would say, he's coming again. He's coming again, and he's going to take us out of this world. And I might have to go subway, but I'd sure like to go in the air. I'd sure like to be above ground when he comes. I've said it in here before that I would love to either be doing what I'm doing right now, and I think everybody that's ever preached would love that. You would love to be proclaiming the word of God and have him return. That would be incredible. I'm telling him about you, Jesus. Oh, there you are. That would be wonderful, right? But the other one would be if I was in a good prayer meeting, if I was just talking to him. Imagine, imagine talking to him. Asking him for the things that you need down here. And then to be in his presence like that. Like to see him, really see him face to face. He will have a body. You will get to see him. You'll get to touch him. You'll get to see the wounds that he bore for you. And you'll be able to thank him face to face for resurrecting you, for dying for you, for being buried and being raised again, for taking a body. You'll be able to thank him for that. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. And then the other side of me says, but Lord, there's so many more that we want to take with us. But I'm still looking forward to that day when I see him face to face. And I love that because he said we've already been raised with him. It's interesting. As I look through this, I understood it, but it's kind of interesting dynamic. Over in Ephesians 2, we're told that when he looked us up, we were dead in our sins and trespasses. Remember that verse, verse 1 of Ephesians 2. He said he found you to be dead in your sins and trespasses. So that's a spiritual death. You had no relationship with the Father. You had no relationship with the Son. You were dead in a spiritual way. Now you're still walking around, so you're not dead, but you were dead spiritually. And what he said there was that by grace through faith, he made you alive. You, you, you came to life. You got a relationship with the Father through the Son by way of the Holy Spirit. It's very interesting how they all three are involved in it. But you, you got a relationship. You became alive. Now he's saying, you died again, though. What? I never died one time, did I? No, I was found to be dead, spiritually. But now he's saying, here he's saying, now when he died on a cross, when you got in him, you're not just in him metaphorically, you are truly in him. So where he's at now is where you are at. I see a lot of inquisitive looks on faces out there. He said that we died in Christ, we were buried with him, and we were resurrected in him. Earlier in this passage, I believe Tim talked about it, 
Um, over in uh, was chapter 2, I think we look at 12. Let me just look at it real quick. If I stand back far enough, I can see it. Having been buried with him, this is chapter 2, verse 12. Uh, Pastor Tim spoke on this passage. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. So you were made alive in him, but when you got in him, now everything he's done, you have participated in. When he died, you died. He had to die. There had to be, what's the wages of sin, church? Wages of sin, death. So every one of you had to pay a debt that you couldn't pay. You couldn't pay it. So someone else had to pay the debt for you, Jesus Christ. When you got in him, there had to be a death to satisfy the sin issue. That death, Christ did. Instead of you dying, he died. But when you got in him, you died. You died of sin. Four conditions of man. Four of them. Four conditions of all mankind. Number one, Adam and Eve created with no sin. They were created without sin. But they chose sin. So now, second condition, because of Adam's sin and because of the sin being passed down to humans through the seed of Adam, if you go back far enough, Adam's your great, 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 great grandfather. It all goes back to him. So there's this condition now that says, I have sin. And when I was born, I was a sinner. Automatically. No, just that's the way it is. So, one of the evidences of that, I love to do this to young moms when they first have their new infant, is to tell them, well, you know, that's a little liar right there in front of you. <laughs> well, how could you say that about this precious baby of mine? I didn't say it, God said. He said, from the womb, you were a liar. From the womb, you were a liar. Isn't that an interesting thought? How could that be? I'm such a precious little baby. I hadn't done anything wrong yet. I've done a lot wrong since then, but I hadn't done it at that point. So that's another condition of man, to be in this sinful condition, to be dead spiritually, no relationship with God. The third condition is when you are introduced to God and you exercise the faith that he gave you and you become a Christian, you become a child of the king, you become someone that's ransomed and adopted into the family of God. That's the third condition. But guess what? I'm still in my flesh. So now I can choose not to sin. I have the power not to sin. Why? Because Christ lives in me. The Holy Spirit's in me. The Father's in me. I can choose not to sin now. Why do I still sin at times? I'm still stuck in the flesh. But coming a day, coming a day, there's a fourth condition of man that's going to take place. And that is going to be when he does come back, and I am, if I'm in the ground, I'm resurrected, I'll get a new body. I'll get a body that I will not be able to sin anymore when I get that body. And if you're a believer in Christ, the same is true for you. 
Those are the four conditions of man. I don't know why I went off on that, but I did. That's how you're found. If you're here today and you've never placed faith in Jesus Christ, you're in a condition that says, if you sin, I just say that's normal for you. You have no other choice. You can't choose not to sin. You're going to sin in some fashion. You're going to do something that's not going to please God. You're going to go against his will. You're sinning against the Father. And so he's going to have to hold you accountable for that. Death is required because you've sinned. There's death that's required. Fortunately, Jesus Christ died for you. And you went into him. You're in him. And so being in him, you've now been, not only did you die to sin, not only were you buried, but you've been resurrected to a new life. You've got a new life. If you tell me this morning, yeah, you can clap about that. That's something that's very positive. I wish you would help me preach sometimes. I wish you would. I wish you'd say amen if you think that something's worth saying amen to. But if, you, if you're in this condition, we want you to know our Savior because he can get you out of that condition of being in sin. We want you to be resurrected with him, resurrected to a new life. I became a new creation in him. I was as rotten a sinner as any sinner ever was until I met the Savior. And then I, got, then I became a new creature, a new creation. And so did you. Let me read this passage to you. Just hang in there with me. I'm going to go to Romans 6. I want to read something. Knowing that you're resurrected in him, knowing that he died for you, knowing that you died to sin, knowing that you were buried to that and that you've been resurrected to a new life, listen to what he says. Because this is the question I have before you right now. If you've done that, but you continue to live just like you used to live and you don't think anything of it anymore, I'm wondering if you've ever been saved. And one thing I don't want to do, one thing I hate to see happen, one thing I do, I despise the thought of this, is that you come here week after week after week, for years, some of you, thinking that you're saved, but your life isn't changing. I'm wondering if you've been resurrected to a new life. And I know, I know for sure that you've heard the word of God enough to know him if you want to know him, and if he's given you that gift of faith but it makes me it can cause me to stay awake at night thinking about some of you that have maybe come for years and years that don't know him but you don't know him so I read this to you Romans 6 shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase by no means we are those who have died to sin how can we live in it any longer you see that? You've died to sin. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Jesus, into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we had been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self 
was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. If you died in Christ and you've been resurrected in him, you're free from sin. You're no longer a slave to it. Now, if we die with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And that's what you should be doing. If you're in him, you're living to God. It's interesting. Living a resurrected life should mean that I can have a little bit of heaven on earth. I can live a heavenly life on this earth. Some of you believe that. He's saying because of our identification with Jesus, we have been granted new life. Thank God. I'm a new creation because of what he did for me. This new kind of life will be described in verses following this. Some of it will be described by Tim next week and Todd following that. But since we've been raised with him, what's the next thing he says to do? The next exhortation from Paul. He says, since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. Set your hearts on things above. Now, we don't want to stop there because you could say, well, what is that, up on the roof? What, what does that mean? But he goes on so that you don't have that question. He says, where Christ is. Where's Christ? He's in the heavens, sitting at the, according to this, seated at the right hand of God. He is seated at the right hand of God. And what's he tell us to do? What's the imperative that we're being told to do? Set your hearts on things above. Set your heart up there with him. I always think of the heart. You know, in biblical terms, a lot of times the heart just means your, your mind, your, your thought process in that. And, and I agree with that. I think of the heart in this instance when he says, set your heart on, this, on things above. Set it on Jesus where he's at in the heavens at the right hand of the Father. I'm like, I want to say, I love that thought. My heart says it bursts with joy thinking of that. Thinking of, man, I'm going to one day see him. I'm going to be in his presence right there in the heavenlies and see the son right next to the father. It's, it's mind-boggling thought process to me sometimes. But I want my heart to be so engaged because I love him so much I want to see him someday. So since we've been raised, we're supposed to set our hearts on things above. You're being urged by Paul. I'm urging you today. I'm telling you. If you're struggling in your Christian life, if you're not doing well, where is your heart at? Where is your heart placed? What's the disposition that you have toward God? Did you, when you met Christ, 
when you became saved, did you just say, well, that's good. I'm glad I got that. I got that out of the way. I, I call it fire insurance Christianity. You know, I got my fire insurance. I'm good now. I don't need to do any more. No, no. I think when you meet him, you want more. I think you want more. So, Paul just continues this Christ-centered sufficiency, supremacy, the whole Christ-centered focus by assuring us that Christ is above, seated at the right hand of God. That's where your affection should be. That's where your heart should be looking. He's just reminding them of what he's already told them about in two chapters. In one quick statement, he's going, hey, remember that you've been resurrected to a new life. Because of that, because of what he's done for you, because of what we showed you through these other chapters, what he's done, set your affections, your heart on things above where he is at. Seated at the right hand of the Father. Engage him. think that we are as believers spiritually centered on Christ's death and resurrection when when that takes place when you become a believer it's an instantaneous thing that you get raised it's an interesting thing I think you you come alive to the father you get a relationship with him you die to sin, and you're resurrected to a new life all like that it happens in an instant and in Galatians 2.20, I wanted to read this passage to you. It, it just drives it home even more. I have been crucified with Christ. And the church could say, amen, anytime. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. Amen. Oh my goodness. How could my heart not be in the heavenly places? Romans 6, he says this, even so consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So you die to sin, you bury that, now you become alive in God, alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law but under grace. What then shall we sin? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be. Do, not, do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? Which one do you choose? Which one do you choose? He goes on. What's our reaction supposed to be? 
So there's his exhortation. Engage your heart on things above. Your affection should be on him who sits at the right hand of the Father. The one that sits there is your resource. He's the one that got you engaged that you even have a right to get there. Put your heart there. It goes on. What's your reaction supposed to be? Coupled with our new motivation is a new mind. You're supposed to have this new mind. Believers are exhorted to set their minds on the same things that their hearts were set on. Things above again. Things above. And he expands it. He expands the thought. I love that he did this. He says, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That's my affections, the way I see it. Set your minds on things above. And then he did this. Not on earthly things. Stop setting your mind on earthly things. Don't think about the things here. Think about things there. Let your life be governed not by this, but by that. He said to transform your mind. Renew it. You know why he says that? Because we're naturally doing this. This is just easy. But that takes work. To get to know the Savior, you got to work. You got to get transformed by the renewing of your mind through what? Just by listening. Please, it's not by listening to a podcast. That's helpful. I'm not saying don't do that. But you got to get in that word and read it. Amen. All the talk about heaven, all the talk about Christ, you got to find out what it is in here. That's how you know what to set your mind on. Otherwise, you get captivated like Colossae was in danger of. You let somebody else read it for you. Which is okay if you have teachers and people that do what I do and pastors and different ones. That's what we're supposed to That's the giftedness that we have is to teach you. But you need to dig in. You got to get in the Word. Set your minds on things above, not on these things on earth. How many of you know that Tuesday we have an election? How many of you know about that? How many of you have been burning up YouTube watching all the videos about it? In studying this, I ran across a guy that said he had this question that he would, when he was interviewing people for church staff, when he would interview people to become part of church staff, he asked him this question. I ask you the question. And I think it's a fair question. It's not to, not trying to make anybody feel bad or make you feel guilty. The, the question made me feel guilty, though. <laughs> and the question was this. When your mind is at ease, which some people, their mind's at ease more than it should be, but when you don't have anything polluting your mind and you're just sitting somewhere, I, I, I said it this way, you're sitting in your living room 
with a cup of coffee and you're looking out at the wind and the rain coming down and the leaves and stuff blowing around, what are you thinking about? What do you think about when your mind is kind of blank slated? Do you ever think about heaven in those moments? Does it permeate what you think about? Does your, has your mind been changed? See, when you go to Romans 12, 1 and 2, and he says that you are to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that means you're putting something in there that you can call on later. He said to hide your, the word in your heart so that you could recall it later. It's all we're trying to get you to do. I can't read it for you. You need to read it. But to, to be transformed, to be able to say in my blank times, those where I don't have a million things going on in my mind, what would I concentrate on during that period of time? I tell you, that would probably eliminate a lot of people from being hired. Because I don't think people have that in their mind enough. They don't. But Paul's warning you that if you don't, if you don't do it, He's encouraging you, exhorting you to do it because he said, if you don't, you're going to be carried to and fro because you have nothing to fight with. You're going to a gunfight with no bullets in your gun. I don't suggest you ever get in a gunfight with no bullets in your gun. You're going to lose. Set your minds on things above, not on things on the earth. Now, I told him in the early service, this does not mean I don't want you to pay attention when you're driving home. Okay, you do need to have your mind in the horizontal in some areas. But not, this rules my life down here. No, he should be the ruler of your life. And if you set your mind on that, I'm going to tell you something. If you set your mind on things in heaven, if you put your affections on Christ who's there at the right hand of the Father, and you set your mind on this scripture and start thinking about it, you know what you're going to do? You're not going to be able to shut up about Jesus Christ. You're going to find it much easier to witness to that neighbor next door. You know why? Because you're full of this. Your mind is in a heavenly place. When my mind's in a heavenly place, I think about the neighbor, the, the loved one that I have. They're not in the heavenly place. They're not there with me. I can think about heavenly places and go, I know that Christ is there, but guess what? The truth is, we call it positional truth. I just like to call it truth. The truth is, I'm there too. Where he's at, I'm at. What he has, I have. Because I'm in him. Try, taking your, try going somewhere without your kidney right now. You can't do it. It's in you. Christ, we're in him. He can't go anywhere that we don't get to go with him. So believe it or not, today, you cannot believe it, but that means you're not paying attention to what we're talking about. Today, I'm going to set my mind that I'm right there with him. I'm going to put my heart right there. I'm right there. I'm with him. I'm in the lap of him. I'm right there next to the Father. And so are you if you place faith in him. On we go. There's so much more can be said about every one of these things. We get to verse 3 here. And here's kind of the basis. Paul's given a basis now 
of why the preceding exhortation. The exhortations are based in a past reality. It's something that already took, if you think about it far enough, if you study it, you'll see that this, this uh, resurrection took place before the earth was ever created. You're his elect. He elected you. Speaking of elections, he elected you before the foundations of the earth. He put you in Christ, even though you hadn't done it yet. He knew you were going to. He, nah, that's wrong. No, don't take that out of context. He knew he had elected you. So he knew then. We're going to read that passage in a minute. I'll just hush. Let me go on. So there's a past reality, there's a present truth, and there's a future expectation. That's what Paul is doing with this exhortation. He's setting all of this up. Paul begins with a glance back, which we've already done. He's looked back and says, you've already been resurrected with him. It's not something that's coming. You've already been done that. It's done. It's finished. You died with him, you are buried with him, and you've been raised with him. We've already showed you that. And you've died to sin, according to Romans 6, 2, which means that believers are no longer under the influence of sin's dominion or its power. I can say no to sin. You can too. You're no longer chained to it. You've been ransomed from it. So the reasoning for living this resurrected life is in 3.3. For you have died, or you have died. You notice that's past tense. You're not dying, you've already died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. It's an interesting little passage, isn't it? You've already died to sin. You've been resurrected even. And now your life is hidden with Christ in God. Note the past tense of him. He's died. You've already died. Believers have died to the world system through their faith union with Christ in his death and his resurrection. You no longer have to be a slave to this world system. Remember, we just said, don't be looking at this down here. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Some of you are sitting right here thinking things that are on the earthly level. Right now you're doing it. I wish he'd hush up so I could go home and watch the 49ers win or lose or whatever they're going to do. You're thinking of earthly things. Get your mind set on things above. Galatians 6, 14. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Another reason for not doing this horizontal thinking. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. What does it mean when he says with Christ in God in this passage? I believe it means a believer share a common life with the Father and the Son. We're in them, they're in us. 1 Corinthians 6, 17 says the one who joins himself to the Lord is one in spirit with him. In uh, 2 Peter 1, 4, he says partakers, we're, we are partakers, ah, we are partakers of the divine nature. The new life is concealed from the world. 
this hidden life. What does that mean to be hidden? What, I mean, you're not hidden. I can see you. No, no, there's a, there's a part of it that's hidden away. There's, there's, your life is so hidden that you don't even know who you are in the future. Interesting. And listen, don't expect an unbeliever to see that hidden life that you have. They'll, they'll see that you're light and that you're salt. They'll see that. But there's a part of it that's hidden. It's hidden in Christ. So they can't begin to grasp it. Since a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They just don't accept it. You say, well, I got saved. My life's changed. And they go, what are you talking about? How many of you have done that? Where you, you, you get saved out of a life and you had these friends and you know now I can't do the things they're doing. And when you tell them you can't do that anymore, they go, what are you talking about? They can't begin to grasp that your life has really changed. They, they don't get it. They're like, what do you want? Yeah, that's good. You got Jesus. Let's party. I've heard people, I've heard that happen to people. Well, that shouldn't change anything. We just keep partying. No, 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 no. I can't do that stuff anymore. They, they're not going to grasp it. Don't expect them to. And if you see them in sin, living a life of sin, you know what? That's what they're supposed to do. They, they have no choice. They're in that condition of fallen because of Adam. They're in a sin condition. Doesn't mean you don't share Christ with them. You keep doing that. So that hidden part is very interesting to be hidden in Christ, with Christ in God. And, and it says there in in. 1 Corinthians 2.14, a natural man does not accept the things of the, of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. They don't have, they're spiritually dead, remember? They're dead. They're not going to grasp it. They don't get it. Believers, another part of that being hidden is there's a security in it. A believer is eternally secure. He's hidden protectively from all spiritual foes. The blessing of salvation are, listen to this, an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. You find that in 1 Peter 1, 4. It's reserved for you in heaven. Why am I not thinking about that? Those to whom the Son gives eternal life shall never perish and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. John 10, 28. Love that passage. Love it. Listen to this. I must read this. I, I, I said uh, earlier, and the guys in the preaching team laugh at me now because I say, this is one of my favorite passages to almost every passage I read now. But this truly is one of my favorite passages. It's Romans 8. And I'm going to start up at verse 28. I'm going to read the whole thing all the way to the end of the chapter. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now I want you to recognize this. It's going to say he or his a bunch of times, and I'm going to emphasize them, because this is all God's work. It's what he did. You can't do any of this. He has to do all of this. So I think years ago, um, 
I don't know if it was Pastor Phil or somebody was preaching this and they pointed that out and I circled every one of them. And so every time I read this, I see that. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. That's just setting up the passage I wanted to read. What then shall we say to these things? Since, if your says if, mark it out. There's no question about it. The term if makes it seem like there's a question. Since God is for us, who is against us? Since God is for you, who could be against you? I've said it. I'll say it again. I'll probably say it multiple times in my life. If I just knew that I had salvation, if I just knew that Jesus Christ is who he says he is and that he died for me, if I just had the good news and it accepted it and had that verse all by itself, I could get by just fine. And so could you. Because if he is for you, who could be against you? Not if he's for you, since he's for you. The evidence of it, let's continue. He who did not spare his own son. Does that sound like somebody that's for you? Come on. Does that sound like somebody that's for you? They didn't spare their own son on your behalf. but delivered him over for us all. He delivered him over. Oh, people, think about it. He's for you today. He's for you today. So much that he would give his son, and he would give him over. It's as though in my mind I imagine being tied up, and he says, here, you've got to go, son. You've got to go. Why? For you and you and you and me, for all of us. He did it for us. He did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who, here we go again, who will bring a charge against God's elect? Who could bring a charge against you when he chose you? You're going to tell him you made a bad selection, God. Oh, stop telling him that if you say that about yourself to him. He gave a very precious gift to get you. Why aren't you thinking on these things? God is the one who justifies, who is the one who condemns. Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, Rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? 
Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword or the Democrats or the Republicans or whatever you want to put in there? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we are overwhelmingly conquerors overwhelmingly conquers not just conquers overwhelmingly we beat them a hundred to nothing in basketball that's how bad it was we're overwhelmingly conquered through him who loved us for i am convinced paul would say this he's writing it for i am convinced and i think i'm convinced too people that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what it means when he says in Christ, in God. You're hidden in, with Christ in God. My, my, my. So we've taken a look back that you've already been resurrected. Took a glimpse at the present where you're supposed to be thinking of heavenly things and not on this earthly level. And we've talked about being hidden in Christ and the identification with Christ bringing not only a past break with sin and a present security, it also means a glorious future. The believer awaits this unveiling, I call it. The revelation, the unveiling. When Christ appears, we will also appear with him in glory. Let me read verse four again. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I want you to think about that. When he appears, when he appears to us again here on the earth, when he returns to the earth and puts his feet down here, he's going to appear. You're going to be able to see him again. Guess what? He's not coming by himself. He won't be by himself. You're going to appear with him when you're going to have a new body and you're going to appear with him did you hear that? Although the world may not recognize those who are lives are hidden with Christ and God, that will not always be the case. They're going to see it eventually. When Christ is revealed in his second coming, we also will be revealed with him in glory. I want to read this passage, and I'm going to move out. And I saw heaven open, this is Revelation 19. And behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. From his mouth 
comes a sharp sword so that with it he may strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords that's who he is that's who's going to appear and you're going to appear with him what a truth for the believer you see for the believer life isn't just merely a bunch of activities and details life isn't acquisitions or accomplishments although we have those that's not what it's all about life is Christ didn't he say that in the passage when Christ who is your life if he's not your life why isn't he your life Everything you should do should come through the colander, if you would, or the filter of him. He is the focus of every, uh, he should be the focus of all your aspirations. If you've got aspirations and you haven't talked to him about it, I wouldn't do those things. He's the reason for our existence. I want to just say one more thing and then I'll be done. It has not I did not miss this, and I wanted you not to miss it. I'm going to read the passage one more time to you, the whole thing. And I like this. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. He doesn't leave you to yourself. He's, he's got a connection to you that shows up three times in four verses. He says, he's with you, he's with you, he's with you. My grandpa used to sing a song, No, Never Alone. He promised to never leave me alone. Well, it's right there. He says he'll be with you, and he is with you. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for the supremacy of Jesus Christ, the sufficiency. There's nothing else we can do. You've done it all. We just fall on our faces before you and say thank you. Thank you for the gift of righteousness that by being in Christ, I'm seen as righteous. And I'm amazed because you foreknew me and you predestined me anyway. You knew everything I would do that was against you and you still predestined me. You justified me. You've justified those in the room that have placed the saving faith that you gave them to be able to exercise that faith and we fall on our faces before you. Lord, I pray that this week these people will find themselves in your word. They'll find themselves wanting to know more about you so that they can then enter into that heavenly place with their minds. That they can enter into that heavenly place where you sit at the right hand of your Father with their hearts and their affection toward you and toward everything that is you. You are life. You are life. How we thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. You're the life. You're it. How we thank you for being willing to come. 
and die on a cross on our behalf. May we not forget that as we look toward you this week in our lives. If we have those moments where we have a blank slate of thought, oh, I pray we would find ourselves thinking about heavenly things and about Christ, the eternal, supreme, sufficient one. We pray all these things in his matchless name. Amen.